Welcome to Bit of Play, your occasional video game show about whatever. I'm Armin Bali, And I'm Daniel Rosen. This week, we continue our Final Fantasy retrospective with a look at three PlayStation games before we take a detour into Hollywood. But let's take a look at what just might be the most important RPG ever made, unfortunately. Uh, so, Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, we had to get to this eventually. Released in 1997 on the PS1, you play as Cloud, a former soldier on the private army of Shinra, a billionaire industrialist. And you get hired as a mercenary guard to protect eco-terrorists as they try to destroy Shinra's hold. And somehow your girlfriend gets killed and fighting dream chunks of... Your of senpai. That. Yeah, and another soldier and an alien consciousness has crash-landed on the Earth and started sucking away the life stream. It is the 90s anime plot ever. It, it It is kind of like they put Evangelion into a sandwich of two other mediocre anime series. Actually, what it is, it is... If you've ever read William Gibson's Neuromancer, yeah. it is straight-up Neuromancer with some Evangelion in the Bible thrown in. It's like they played Mad Libs with all three. If you pay attention a lot, you can kind of make sense of Final Fantasy VII's plot. But that's most. But it it doesn't make a lot of sense, and part of it is because of its terrible, terrible translation. Yeah, that's the that's the real limiting factor here. Yeah, where we kind of just talked about Final Fantasy VI, which had a fantastic translation that kind of made the original script much more memorable than the more accurate scripts. Uh, Final this, Final Fantasy. It... Hmm? Sorry. Oh, uh, Final Fantasy VII was after Square Enix had started their in-house translations, but after Sony had begun to offer free translation services to companies to incentivize their bringing RPGs to America. Yeah, and it was not great. Um, some of the uh, great lines that came out of this were, that guy are sick, and... Uh, the other casualty is kind of the entire plot. <laughs> it's really hard to make sense of unless you know the, what they were referring to in the Japanese or if you have, like, you spend time kind of researching what happens in the game and going through a wiki. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. No, the the, the, that, the, the, the hack job kind of rendered it like... I mean, there, there's stuff like people don't actually know that Sephiroth, the major villain of the game, is never actually fought. You're always just fight. You're always, at least in Japanese version, very clearly fighting copies of him until the final battle. But while we're talking about the story, we probably have to talk about Aerith. So, I mean, Aerith was one of the first characters, or memorable characters, with that had a face that died and had an impact on people in Significant games. impact on people. Yeah, it's... A lot of people, depending on how you... I mean, she's referred to as Aerith in the Japanese version, Arius, for some reason, in the English version. Um, she gets killed by Sephiroth about the end of the first disc, but... It's kind of the big, like, that's the climax of the first disc. It's how, it's how you know that things have gotten real. Which is funny, because it's a really big turning point in the game, and was sort of gaming's first big spoiler, uh, but it was in the commercial, in America, at least. Yeah, and... It also, I mean, Arius wasn't that great a character in terms of gameplay. They really no. didn't incentivize you to protect her. She could heal, but eventually so could everyone else. Right. The problem, with, we'll, we'll get into Final Fantasy VII's gameplay system later, but she was just sort of useless. And again, since the story made no sense to me personally, I just didn't care. And then five seconds later, there's a hilarious snowboarding minigame where one of the characters falls down a mountain. See, I didn't because it took me so long to get through that first disc, it felt like there was a lot longer divide between the snowboarding section and and the, uh, the death. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that much of a disconnect, but once you kind of replay it, there, Final Fantasy VII's plot is kind of jarring how quickly it shifts from one thing to another. Um, and that's actually, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit, but that's mostly because of its um, weird production schedule. But first, let, let's talk about the gameplay, because we almost went there earlier. Okay. Um, it's, the game goes, like, drops Final Fantasy VI's, well, every Final Fantasy game at that point, four, four man parties down to three, uh, and trades the giant cast of six to seven characters, uh, and two optional ones, all of which are, like, super customizable, actually, more so than pretty much any other Final Fantasy game prior. Uh, every weapon that you equip has slots for something called Materia, which will grant characters new attacks and spells and whatever. Which basically means that every character can do anything depending on what Materia you have. You have nine blank slates, and everybody sort of ends up becoming the same super-powered god by the end. The only thing different is their finishing moves. 
So these are limit breaks. Now, the limit breaks were, I mean, they were fairly interesting in that some characters could could rapidly heal. You had Tifa's doing slot machines, um, which allowed her, for some reason, to then beat up the enemy more. Cloud had slashing attacks. Uh, Barrett had long-range shots that you could put together. But ultimately, they all did the same damage by the end of the game, which was 9999, and um, felt kind of irrelevant. Exactly. Just every character is sort of the same. And that's kind of, I mean... That that really frustrates me about that game. It doesn't really reward me for developing my characters at all. It just sort of rewards me for sticking the toughest material on the toughest person. Like, if you just stick healing material on Cloud, he's Eris. There's no difference. Yeah. I, personally, I kind of enjoyed it just because I felt, at the time, the custom, uh, customizability was a fairly unique feature, but you didn't have much. Um, it, the much. It wasn't much similar at the time, at least so I felt. I mean, going back to the game, it would probably be a much different experience. I, didn't play, I haven't played this since I was in grade school and back then it seemed like the raddest game ever and um but it's been a long time since then and it's kind of rough to go back to especially considering its graphics which even for the playstation were pretty rough yeah that oh boy i mean it was an early it wasn't a super early playstation game but it started development very early and because of that they kind of changed around their models a lot yeah um but just so i stay positive so I don't just sound like I'm hating on this game. I do sort of like, and this is a big thing for Final Fantasy VII um, and inspired RPGs kind of from that point forward, you spend a lot of that first disc in the initial city, Midgar. The atmosphere is amazing. It is fantastic. And when you open up the Vista, it feels like you you once you leave Midgar for the first time, you have the giant open world in front of you. Like the map feels incredible. It's like, wow, I felt like this was a real city and now there's a world to go explore. And I thought that feeling was really incredible that they managed to nail that. Of course, that world is actually kind of boring in retrospect, and every RPG has done that since, but, you know, it's it's a cool concept. Yeah, very much at the time. And we, it has its relevatory moments in that it did impact, and we'll get into the legacy in a moment, but ultimately Final Fantasy is pretty flawed, and we'll get to that in development. So yeah. it was originally planned as a Super Nintendo game, and in a strange twist, um, Sakaguchi, the... Guy who Final invented, Fantasy Man. Yeah, the guy who invented it all wanted it to be a detective story set in uh, 1990 New York. Um, a, detect- a man named Detective Joe would start the game hunting down the main characters who were hiding in New York after blowing up a city called Midgar. Um, early treatments of the script were written by Kazushige Nojima, who was uh, new to Final Fantasy but would later work on Final Fantasies 10 through 13, uh, along with Kingdom Hearts and Super Smash Bros. Brawl. Uh, and, of course, worked on Final Fantasy VII itself. Uh, and Yoshinori Kitase, who we talked about earlier as the uh, kind of humor and color guy on Final Fantasy VI, but became the serious business and dark grim guy on Final Fantasy VII. Um, Masato Kato of Chrono Trigger fame also worked on the series, and Tetsuya Nomura helped plan the story. Most of the Final Fantasy A-Team, or what was the A-Team, um, was working on Chrono Trigger at the time. So most of the earlier, um, most of the early ideas were incorporated into that. However, several concepts were used in later games. The 1999 New York stuff became the setting for Parasite Eve, and the game's villain, Sorceress Ida, would go on to be um, a villain in Final Fantasy VIII. The story was planned out in 1995, and the key scenes were set sent to 3D animation studios while the writers kept planning new ideas, kind of why that game kind of has those famous full-motion video cutscenes, which became basically what defined Final Fantasy for quite a while, is having right. full-motion video. And those scenes, because they were animated early, important scenes like Sephiroth killing Aerith were in those early drafts of the script. But as the script was revised and revised, um, they couldn't really animate these, fe- these scenes in time, because, you know, in 1997, or 1996, when this game was being made it took a really long time to animate and it was very expensive and they couldn't just keep reanimating scenes when they rewrote them so later scenes such as stuff like cloud falling into the life stream which is kind of the big crux of disc three i think and anything that happens in the golden saucer any of the later game cutscenes are just used with the really kind of hideous popeye arm models like we gotta go into how bad this game's graphics are they don't have hands or arms they have two lumps yes, that are attached have, like, to their bi- sternum two triangles on their torso and then just sort of a circle that comes out of those yeah yeah and it's hard to distinguish barrett who has a gun for a hand from Cloud's hand, which is just a solid brick. Not to mention the fact that there are three different models. Like, we have those weird Popeye arm kids, uh, which were later used for the style of the Final Fantasy DS remakes, as well as the full motion video, semi-realistic looking characters, and then also their models in battle, 
which are like halfway between each. Yeah, I mean, the ones in battle aren't so bad, but that's because they only had like four animations. There was <laughs> them standing and the lights going around them as they and did sometimes magic. Cloud would raise his sword or swing his sword. Yeah, there was the limit breaks, and those were did did interesting animations, but mainly there was uh, it was them standing and occasionally swiping. Yeah, because those 3D cutscenes were such a big deal, they actually moved the game from the N64 to the PS1 very early in development because they figured that these cutscenes were the way we were going to tell the story. Uh, Yoshitaka Amano was also busy at the time doing uh, opening art workshops in Europe, so Tetsuya Nomura, his former assistant, took the lead in designing this game, and thus we have entered the darkest era of character design. Um, Amano's flowy, wispy, fantasy characters um, gave way to kind of Nomura's edgier, belt-filled, harsher designs, and also numerous zippers and buckles. We don't really get to see all the zippers, but we do start to see the buckles in this right. game. Uh, it, to be fair, it was the 90s, and I think Nomura's style fit Final Fantasy VII better than um, Amano's. And it kind of, it's kind of, aside from Kingdom Hearts, where it's, that game is so crazy, where Tessio Nomura is, is essentially the, uh, the the image behind that game, it, it, it works. It works in the era, it works for the game, it works for the style of story we're trying to tell. Right, but please look at Vincent again. He looks like a hot top exp- exploded on him <laughs> and he can't i mean he can turn into a werewolf right or, yeah yeah i mean that was his thing right so you know he's basically there already he's yeah. almost a twilight fan fiction character Matsu was also involved but instead of composing the music for real instruments and then mapping to a sound chip like he'd done before he chose to directly compose on the ps1 sound chip this allowed him to use digitized vocal for one wing angel but also made it the worst sounding soundtrack in final fantasy history Uematsu composed a four disc 85-song soundtrack, all of it sounding like garbage. So, yeah, every song just sort of sounds like the same thing. Everything just sort of sounds weird and trumpety. It's like, ba-now, 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 ba-now. But there are a couple good songs in that four-disc soundtrack. Oh, God. Um, I kind of like the main theme, which we came in on. um, or Exxon. And and Genova is one of my favorite Final Fantasy battle songs ever. Yeah, it's... It had a couple interesting tunes in there, but ultimately they actually do sound like the noises that you put together there. The, Beautiful song. It is. It has a magnificent legacy, though, in that it is the role-playing game that launched a million other uh, uh, per, uh, PS1 role-playing games. It is one of the best-selling games in PS1 and mostly on a commercial made entirely a full-motion video. It turned the PS1 into the JRPG console of choice and stabbed the N64 in Japan, making RPGs popular for a very brief moment in North America and gave Final Fantasy the absolutely rabid fan base that it hadn't quite had with 6, but definitely now had with 7. Yeah, if you people still talk about Final Fantasy 7 like characters and plot as if it's this grand like meaningful thing like this is a thing that really impacted people when they were young and actually still does to a certain extent and i think it's because these characters have sort of kind of put themselves into pop cultural canon at this point you people just know who cloud is at least among kind of the internet circles even very young people and i mean it's one of those things that you got you end up learning through osmosis but also, I think that it had such an impact on the mindset of people at the time that it is the thing they keep coming back to. When they think of the 90s and think of great games on the PS1, Final Fantasy VII comes up. It's whether it, the truth of that is not, and they were, and despite the fact that there were two other Final Fantasy games that we'll get to in a second, um, it's this the, is the one that's always remembered. It's the ones to remember. Not Wild Arms, not Legacy of the Dragoon with its weird period-based battle system, not Persona 1, but Final Fantasy VII is the game. And it's kind of also the game from a non-fan perspective, from the business perspective, it popularized pre-rendered FMV video for games, and also sort of popularized blowing incredibly massive budgets on games. It also kind of, in, in one sense, made story incredibly important on some PS1 games, and from that point on, story started to grow more and more. It was one of the first times that Square had put so much money into the story and the bombast, which would eventually lead to their demise. Um, Final Fantasy always tried to take story seriously. That was sort of Sak- um, Sakaguchi's thing. But I think this is the first time they actually had the presentation level able to show it in kind of a meaningful way. It wasn't squatty sprites jumping up and down and that meant emotion to us. It was characters actually delivering lines and, you know, having fa- terrible facial expressions, but for the time, very impressive facial expressions that told the story. They didn't have mouths. 
No, they also didn't, they didn't have hands, they didn't have mouths, they didn't have a lot of essential features. It wasn't really all that different from a sprite jumping up and down, because, I mean, the characters were really just shaking their blocks. But we felt like it was, and that's what matters. Another important thing is that the compilation of Final Fantasy VII is the only media project uh, deemed so terrible that it is illegal in certain countries. It... it this game, despite having numerous spinoffs, including a movie and... Terrible, terrible movie. An incredible PSP game. Oh, yeah, the great PSP game, um, a horrible first-person shooter, an even worse cell phone version. Notice I didn't say smartphone. A Japanese flip cell phone version of a first-person shooter. It has never been uh, remade, though. And that's because Square um, Square continues to have one lucid thought that would be... It would be idea to remake this there's also been some talk of them being scared of being unable to um they that it looked like they ran out of ideas if they remade final fantasy 7 i think well i think final fantasy 10 is your final fantasy 7 remake but i also a little bit a little bit i mean it does have a similar concept of the live stream it does have similar concept of death passing and turning you into to a monster it was also uh, mm. but that's also something that's been con- continued in a lot of Final Fantasy yeah. games but I think also Final Fantasy 7 I think they're, what their real worry is not only the, the losing ideas because I think that is a significant thing I th- and I don't think Square Enix has to worry about that right now Right now, with pumping out HD remasters uh, and Final Fantasy 13 3 I think what they're also significantly worried about is making the game and either people re- realizing that it wasn't actually that good or not living up to their expectations of it that would be true I mean imagine if they it's one of those, the PS1 is going to be incredibly hard to HD remaster, and it's why we've, we've gotten, like, remasters of Metal Gear Solid 2, 3, and whatever came, the PSP mm-hmm. game that came after that, but we have not seen PS1 remasters, because a lot of those games just look terrible and would look even worse right. in like HD. The closest we got, speaking of Metal Gear Solid, was the GameCube port of Metal Gear Solid 1, which was a top-to-bottom remake. Exactly. They, they had to put the, they basically had to remake everything in there in order to make it function on a more modern platform. Um, but if you do want to play the game now it is available on ps uh, psn so you can play it on your ps3 psp or vita uh, it actually looks quite nice on the vita screen for looking being a terribly ugly game uh, but i'd recommend you should play crisis core that fant- spectacular psp spinoff which actually takes the final fantasy 7 battle system infuses a little bit of action into it and makes it something really worth playing the there is one version of Final Fantasy VII that is, if you put a little work into it, might play a little better, but also might play terribly worse, and that's the PC version, which at its original launch is absolutely terrible and barely functioned and crashed a lot. The um, there's, a, there's the Steam release now. The Steam release, which has a bunch of mods attached to it, including a graphical update. It you if you add in a whole bunch of mods online, we'll we'll put something in the show notes. Um, you can have the Final Fantasy VII of your dreams. You can that someone promised you existed but does not in fact anyway we'll play us out with the most famous Final Fantasy song One Winged Angel which has been played so frequently that it's probably the most annoying song in JRPGs but it and is responsible for all Latin chanting in games going forward forever god damn it but just a quick note there's no way we're going to play the whole song it's way too long and a little repetitive at parts but you know take a listen to what we got and just a reminder, coming up after this is Final Fantasy VIII.
anyway, moving on to what some call the best Final Fantasy game is Final Fantasy. <laughs> Wait, Fan- who is this some people? Is this you? Anyway, it came out in 1999, is my point. And you play as Squall Leonhart. Your personality is how people remembered Cloud being towards the beginning of Final Fantasy VII. And instead of the actual kind of cheerful guy he became towards the end, you have no emotions and have terrible friends. You go to the Balam, you go to the Balam Garden Military Academy, where your course load involves being rented out as mercenaries. You know, like regular courses. Which I, I said that Final Fantasy VII was a pretty anime plot. This is a very anime plot. Oh, no. This is this is a '90s anime turned into this, a game. They this is them executing on the dream. There's a bunch of teenagers in high school who also have battles sometimes. If you want to know what Bleach looked like ten years before they could, they, it came out and they knew what ghosts were. Two years actually before it came out. Really? Yeah, okay. Bleach was 2001. Oh, I thought it came out much later, but that's no. Yeah, there you go. That's um, it, it, very much of the zeitgeist. Yes, uh, you are rented out to the highest bidder. And you, uh, your your mercenaries are assigned to help a resistance faction battle the evil sorceress Idea, who was originally supposed to be a Final Fantasy VII villain. And eventually, you and your team of idiots realize you are apparently all orphans at the same orphanage run by Idea, but none of you realized it because you're all stupid. Yeah, and there's some flashback stuff, and eventually you'll learn that Idea is being used by Ultimicia, a sorceress in the future, who wants to compress all of time into a single point. I not uh, anyway, no one explains it. You beat her, and there's a stable time loop, and flashback stuff. I don't know. There's a, there's another guy. It's in, real anime. There's a anyway. Listen, Laguna? all that matters is sometimes you play as Squall's dad, Laguna, who uses a machine gun. Yeah, that's the, honestly that is the best part of that game where you you go back in time and Squall's dad is an ass. <laughs> anyway, and also in the future, the president, but nobody mentions it ever. That is a weird thing that no one mentions either. In fact, I completely forgot about that until you mentioned it. The um, Now, Final Fantasy VIII does a few neat things with gameplay. First of all, it breaks it. Second of all, <laughs> it, um, it, in, it index enemy levels according to your level. So if Squall is level 1, all other enemies are also level 1, and or whatever level they need to be. So, if, for instance, if you're level 100, they're also level 100. Um, s- but they're only attached to Squall. Which means that so long as he remains dead or out of commission or not in, in some in way gameplay. not gaining experience, he always has to be in your main party. But if you just leave him at zero HP every time you get into a fight, your other two characters are level you know fifty. While Squall's at level one, your enemies will always be level one, or if it's a boss, one plus however many levels are supposed to be over you. Exactly. So it's that basically made it a fun game of leveling up your which. So one of the other things that you could do was attach. Guardian forces, which were kind of summons in previous games, to your character that gave you special abilities. That's how you got your magic. It's how you got a bunch it of was, stats. It's sort of like Pokemon, almost. Like yeah. You are attach, equipping a Pokemon to a guy, and they will learn whatever spells the Pokemon learns on leveling up. In some sense, this also calls back to the old character class system, where you, you could uh, job system, where you could pick a job, and the longer you stayed with that, that, that job, you gained a whole bunch of abilities, and again, you could move to other jobs, but retaining those other skills. Um, so, the... The interesting thing, though, about this system was that it kind of made grinding pointless because all you needed was a GF, you strong GFs, and um, Squall being dead, and really, that's always welcome in yeah, a JRPG. I love it when you don't have to grind. Another really cool thing is that they got rid of MP entirely, yeah, uh, but not in the terrible charge fashion from Final Fantasy One. Um, junctioning when you junction a character to a guardian force, you would learn the spells, but each spell had a charge. They were cast from draws, which were taken from enemies during battle or found in the environment. You could have up to a hundred draws per spell. So basically, when you leveled up with a guardian force and learned fire, it's not that you learn fire; it's that you are now able to draw fire from enemies and re and basically play that fire card. Yeah, it's it kind of felt like an interesting way of limiting you without necessarily, um, without while giving and adding a sense of flexibility to it that you hadn't seen in other Final Fantasy games. There was really, there was no penalty for using a stronger spell. It's just you have a stronger spell now. Yeah, yeah. And at, now the way that uh, Sakaguchi did this one is he was actually way too busy. So on the amazing thing that we'll get to in a second, I don't even want to spoil it, um, Kitase took the lead on this game's story uh, while Ito took on the, ga- the lead on gameplay, trying to morph Bateria into something more consequential. Ito being the uh, Final Fantasy 3 and 5 jobs guy. And the guy who was originally started as a debugger. Um, Kitase and Ojima worked to make Squall a stoic cl- character like Cloud and one but one that players be able to feel for and they wanted an anime is what they were trying to go for they wanted for. an anime protagonist 
Because if you've ever watched an anime, you know that passivity and annoyance with any kind of change or ambition is the way that those is that story goes. Squall is basically Shinji from Evangelion with less daddy issues. Does he have really less daddy he issues? He has daddy issues, but not quite as many. That's uh, Okay, he has just as many daddy issues, not as many mommy issues. That is true. I mean... It is hard to have more mommy <laughs> issues than Shinji from Evangelion. Um, as for design, Nomura was a gain in charge of characters. So he, he, he axed a lot of the super deformed models from the previous game, and everyone was always realistically proportioned. Again, FMV took a real strong strong suit. The game opens with an FMV. Um, the ball it, dancing scene that people remember to advertise to PS2, which was never used on a PS2 game. Yeah, it's... and. At least they they looked human at all times, and not a not a Lego character that spontaneously styli- got amid. It's stylistically consistent and not as jarring, but it's still hideous now. Yeah, I think that this is a game that could more easily be remade. Uh, it never has, but it could be. No, it wouldn't be. They pretend that game doesn't exist at this point. It so it also came out as the same day as the Dreamcast, which sealed that console's fate forever. Yep. Sorry, Dreamcast. Um, Squall is the main character in Kingdom Hearts. That's so, a thing. Yep. But by main character in Kingdom Hearts, it means also means completely irrelevant. To the <laughs> completely plot. irrelevant to anything that happens because he's not a character that Nomura made up. He's well. My favorite part is that any character, most of the main characters in Kingdom Hearts are completely irrelevant to that game's plot. Yep. All of that stuff happens in behind the scenes politics, which are it, exp- exposed to you in the game after they're actually relevant. Oh, totally. Uh, if you want, if you want to know anything about Final Fantasy's plot, Final Fantasy Kingdom Hearts plot, you better play all the side games. Anyway, we'll get to that stuff later. Um. The triple triad inspired terribly, um, ter- terribly Final Fantasy, desi- uh, terribly designed Final Fantasy card mini games for years to come, and this is also Nomura's first totally solo design job, and we it really, really, really shows. Yeah, we talked about before about how uh, Nomura and Kitase sort of partner up vaguely on these games and kind of flirt with taking over the series, but this is sort of exactly the turning point of Final Fantasy. This is not the last Final Fantasy game as we know it but it's definitely the point where Nomura and and Kitase shake hands and sort of say, hey, let's ruin this one day. Yeah. It's uh, it's unfortunate that uh, they've been, they've kind of been stuck to the series for so long. Um, but this is kind of the turning point. This is when we can start to see games are not... They, they, they don't have that big an influence on Final Fantasy IX, but once 10, 11, 12, which we'll get to in a later episode, um, they really start to... You see their heel, d- heels digging in. Yeah, um, but it is, like we said, it, it's the moment... They kind of realize that it's their sophomore effort, Yeah. and so they don't revisit it too often, other than the fact that they, Nomura loves Squall. I think Squall is Nomura's Nomuriest design he's ever Nomura'd. Oh, totally. It is. He's wearing multiple jackets. He has a sword. He has a a cut-off leather leather jacket with fur lining. He has a gun that is also a sword. He's wearing like five different chains. There's zippers on every piece of his clothing. It's kind of incredible. And he has a scar across his face. It's weird how Nomura designs characters so that you know the the bad guy is somehow less intricately designed than the protagonist. And there is way less like the, the cipher just wears a cloak. Like he doesn't have like crazy zippers on. Well, what every... about selfie? Who is a main character and part of your party? She's just wearing a dress. She's just wearing yeah. And to be fair, she just uses nunchucks to defeat. <laughs> to, to in 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 a battle for the universe, she still uses nunchucks. She uses nunchucks and she only talks about trains, which is such a Nomura thing. <laughs> Oh, man. I wish you could get to suplex more. Anyway, this game is available on PSN and now very recently Steam. Yes, as of like last week, I think. Yeah, it's it's uh, also like Final Fantasy VII. It's probably the best version to get just because you can mod it to make it look like a game you'd want to play now. Um, you can also mod it so that it's like a lot of people did for PC so that you don't have to train ever. And uh, just Is there a Keep Squall Dead Forever patch? There should be. Instead, there is a trainer that just levels up every character except Squall. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, now, before we get to Final Fantasy IX, let's listen to the Man of the Machine Gun, which is the funkiest battle theme ever made.
All right, now Final Fantasy IX, which was released in 2000 for the PS1, is the last Final Fantasy on the PS1. And uh, probably my favorite of the three. It's, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's definitely the most, it's the most simplest design. It's the, I think it is, and we'll get to it in a bit when we talk about this legacy, I think it is the only one that is still playable. Yeah, it's the one, like, despite all the complaints of the time that it wasn't as, it wasn't as depressing, it didn't, its plot wasn't all that complicated. Well, it, it's complicated, but it was, it was goofier. Yeah, like, it took, it didn't take itself seriously was the big difference. Mm-hmm. Unlike um, Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII, which had the serious button on eleven at all times. <laughs> this, uh, speaking of complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you play as Zidane, who is a thief and also an actor who kidnaps a princess... But the princess Garnet, she wants to get taken, and her knight is trying to track her down and catch the Dane. Eventually, the chase ends when they realize that all of the kingdoms in the world are at war because of a mysterious arms dealer known as Kuja, where they fall and they follow him until eventually they learn that Kuja and Zidane are vessels created by a soldier from a parallel dimension created to carry the souls of people from his dying world and active angels of death to make room for his people by killing the people of this world. See, that... When I thought about it, that made a lot more sense until you got into that last run-on sentence, and I realized, oh, right, I forgot about this. You forgot about the part where they're soulless clones of soldiers from a parallel dimension. I remembered all the politics, but yeah, that that part, that's the weird part. (laughs) That's the weird Final Fantasy part. It's, again, it's, the best part about it is that it's its tone, is that it doesn't really take all this stuff seriously. It's fun. Um... It's Kuja is really, really evil, like, like in really the, fun evil, sort of like uh, Kefka from Final Fantasy VI. He just likes being a bad guy. It, the it, it does have its serious moments. I mean, the stuff with Black Mage, um, Vivi. Vivi, he uh, that was kind of interesting, but it doesn't really linger on that stuff for too long. And though by the end of the game, it has turned on its he has turned on a significant frowny face. <laughs> it is uh, it is a colorful frowny face. Yes. Uh, in a back to basics move, the game has no materia, no guardian forces, no level scaling, just the ATB meter since Final Fantasy IV, and uh, kind of borrows AP from Final Fantasy V in a much more limited way. Each character is a class, is a job class. They cannot change that job, um, and they each have a unique ability like steel or black magic. They can learn more abilities from for these sub-abilities by equipping certain weapons and armor that have a skill associated with them and gaining the ability points to learn that skill. Yeah, it's... Again, it kind of harkens back to the old job systems, but mainly it harkens back to the original Final Fantasy. Yeah. that's Which is not surprising because this is Sakaguchi's little baby. This is what he considers his best Final Fantasy game. It is his last Final Fantasy game, too. Yeah. So Sakaguchi returned to write and plan this game, um, leaving Katase and anime plots in the dust. Leading up to, re- um, to release, he called it his ideal Final Fantasy game. And you can you can really tell. The characters are super deformed. The Crystals are again at the forefront. The world is like D and D Final is D and D fantasy for the first time since Final Fantasy VI, and it really does feel like one of these older Final Fantasy games. Somehow, just got updated with way better graphics for the PS One. That super deformed thing, by the way, kind of makes that one. It still is not pretty. By no means is that game pretty, but it makes the look. It's a sort of the stylistic choice that the PlayStation One can handle versus trying to do realistic characters. A lot of the realistic characters on the PS One were just extremely, extremely limited by the fact that it had the it had great three D rendering, but it wasn't anything close to the PS Two or the Xbox or the um and the GameCube. Although it was the best one at the time, it just wasn't sophisticated enough to show anything close to a realistic human body. Yeah. Um, the game was actually developed in Hawaii as a compromise to the American developers who were working on the game. Uh, Sakuchechi lives in Hawaii now, but you, it's really hard to tell if this was f- if the move was for FF9 or before or after. Nobody really quite understands when that happened, but uh, he makes surfing games now. And uh, he's a big fan of Hawaii, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, loves it so much. Uh, so the legacy of this game is a little more complicated. It's the first game in Square Enix three game. Um, it's the first game to represent the past. And while Final Fantasy X went on to kind of talk about the present, and FF11 was supposed to be their big future, but it worked out kind of exactly like they had planned. I mean, which Final is Fantasy... rare for Square Enix. Oh no, totally. Like it for somehow somehow they made the they made a final fantasy game that was exactly like these old SNES games it was the one with the crystals it had all these older elements and 
as a result, it kind of feels the one that's the most it has the clearest focus. It's the one that's truest to itself. Yeah. Um, being the last game that Sakuguchi had any major impact on, it is also the last Final Fantasy game with dedicated classes. It's it's so... It's also the last Final Fantasy that is a comedy, primarily, at least. It is so Final fantasy It might be the Final Fantasy-iest of the first... Like, if you're comparing Final Fantasy to the first six, Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy VII, I think, is the Final Fantasy-iest Final Fantasy now. It is... It is the, If we're going to go by by creators, it's the most Sakaguchi Final Fantasy. Yeah. It, well, until, I think, like, Last Story. Yeah, yeah. Which isn't... I mean, it's not technically a Final Fantasy, but uh, take a thesaur- thesaur- thesaurus to it, and yes, it is. <laughs> um, like Final Fantasy VIII and Nine, it has not been remade, but it still kind of holds up. Loading time is still terrible. Yeah, and it has it has the problem of a lot of um, later Final Fantasy games, and it takes a long time to get started. The mm-hmm. early section of that game, where it's just you kidnapping the princess, oh, yeah. takes so long to get through. You want to play that terrible acting mini game? Oh my god! But once you get through that and you get into the actual fights, um, it, it gets a lot more fun and it gets a lot more interesting. The there are no remakes, and there's really actually no way to replay this outside of the PS1. I PSN? Mean, no, it's on PSN. It, well, I, I am the PSN. Yeah. The, um, there's no there's no superior version. Yeah. It's, it's um, just it, the exact same thing all the way through. There's um, it. He wa- Zidane shows up in Dissidia and Theat Rhythm as a cameo, um, but really, I mean, it's, it's, this is the most ignored of those three oh, Final yeah. Fantasy. Like, we said that Square Pretends Final Fantasy VIII didn't happen, at least Squalls in Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, yeah. I, are there any Final Fantasy Nine characters? Vivi, Vivi, Vivi right, right. But Vivi's right. just a black mage. Like they could just pretend it's not Vivi. That is true. That is true. Um, and okay, so the song we'll have for this one is "Gestures of the Moon," uh, Zorn and Thorns theme from Final Fantasy Nine because it's a, it's a rad ragtime standard. Yeah, it's the grooviest.
Okay, now to get to the one that we've been waiting for. Let's get, let's get, okay, somebody dim the lights. Let's get real serious right now. Okay, we're all going to, I'm just going to, we're all going to talk to you in hushed tones and around a warm fire because, holy God, Final <laughs> Fantasy with Spirits Within, the Hollywood blockbuster that never was. Well, it, was. But... Well, in, in that, it was not a blockbuster. It flopped horrifically. <laughs> horrifically. It came in 2001 and is otherwise recognized as the thing that knocked Sakaguchi straight out of Square Enix. So, Sakaguchi always wanted to make movies. It's, it's why he puts such detailed plots into Final Fantasy games. Now, the problem is he's not a great storyteller, and really, if you look at a lot of those older Final Fantasy games, all the stories are Star Wars. Yep. It's Or or they're basic Joseph Campbell plots of, here's the hero, he rejects the call to he rejects the call to the plot, and then an old man tells him, no, you should do this, and Except then you do it. sometimes that old man is a tiny rabbit, and sometimes that old man is the moon. Exactly. Like, it's but it's basically the same standard plot every time. But, oh my god, this one is so crazy. The movie is about Dr. Aki Ross and Dr. Sid trying to save the world from mysterious alien beings called phantoms. Eventually, it all kind of comes around to a very Final Fantasy VII-esque conclusion that the aliens are the dead spirits of a planet that exploded, who were carried to Earth on a meteor, sort of like Superman, and now have haunted the planet ever since. Wait, are you telling me this is the story of Ghost Superman? <laughs> this is Ghost Superman Lifestream, which is, it's really not hard to tell where Sakaguchi was inspired. Oh, that's unfortunate. That's real unfortunate. The um, the big deal was that it's it was it was a big budget CG movie, which at the time, that's that was rare. I mean, you saw Pixar, but they were the only ones who were willing to bank on that stuff because it was so prohibitively expensive. And that's a good point because it it was also prohibitively expensive for Square and a point that they couldn't stand. So it was the film, the film cost one hundred thirty seven million dollars to make. The original budget was seventy million. And it grossed $85 million. Now, if they had stuck to that original budget, if they had somehow managed to stay on target, that they would have actually made a $15 million profit. But because Sakaguchi nearly doubled that amount, he, they, it was such a big loss that it tanked the company. Yeah, um, it starred humans with a dramatic sci-fi plot and technology intended to change the face of cinema, which is why, he, I guess, they let him put so much money into it. But unfortunately, it was lame and a disaster. Oh, my God. Um, it's, so the animation was filmed with motion capture technology, which is why that game has, why that movie has the unfortunate... Um, has Uncanny Valley effect yeah, on yeah. everything. Uh, if you want to see something that's absolutely frightening, you should take a look at the sp uh, special um, edition dance remix that they put at the end. If oh you're... yeah, the thriller, uh, yeah. thriller dance. Oh boy, they really do look like monsters. Like <laughs> that inhuman is genuinely scary. Um, oh man, they rendered the animation over 141,964 frames, which rendered at one frame every 90 minutes. Oh, my God. All the work was being done in Hawaii at a render farm built by Square. Um, Square ruled out a sequel during production, but maintained that the main character, Aki Ross, would be a digital actress and used in other games and movies after the film. Essentially, he wanted to reuse the same character model in the same way that you'd kind of use static models in, in static NPCs in some games. We've had digital actresses talked about in games for a bit. I think that was also Laura from the D games. Kenji Ino wanted to use her as a digital actress. Yeah. That d never pans out because technology advances real fast. Yeah. And also, this didn't pan out because this movie was awful and Sakaguchi left Square like three years later. Oh, my God. Well, so, and that was really, like, that was him closing the door on himself. He was he was already being pushed out of the company right as it was clear this thing was a flop. Um, the technology has indirectly, in the most indirect sense, led to um, Avatar and... The animators behind Mass Effect reference it as a touchstone, but most of the cri critics of the time were totally creeped out by the Uncanny Valley effect on the characters. You can kind of find it on DVD, but... It is, as I learned this morning, on Crackle. That's Crackle? Yes. Sony's um, exclusive video streaming service. Yes, it is on Crackle. Or you can purchase it from Crackle on YouTube for $4. That's horrifying. It still exists on the web. Side note, this this movie has some of the best cast. You put on weirdest, but you're wrong. It has <laughs> Alec Baldwin, Ving Rhames, James Wood, Donald Sutherland, Steve Buscemi, and Ming-Na Wen of ER and I think... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fame. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. At the last minute, we actually managed to find a copy of the soundtrack for Final Fantasy Spirits Within. So you're about to hear Spirit Dreams Inside by Arkin Ciel. For the sake of time, we're not going to play the whole song, but you 
couldn't really get the gist of the first few minutes. Anyway, take it away, Arkansas. is for the PS1 is Final Fantasy Tactics, which was released in 1997, a couple years before um, Final Fantasy IX, and it was put together by the Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre team, um, and Final Fantasy Tactics is one of the first major Final Fantasy spin-offs, and probably the best. I, th- I think so. I, it, it is definitely my favorite of the spin-offs, and inspired the um, our, both of our love for Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Oh, totally. That I absolutely loved. The plot is nonsensical like a lot of the other ones but it's mostly political backstabbing and weird machinations than it is um fantasy nonsense <laughs> yeah you're two nobles attempting to survive essentially a fantasy version of the war of roses a conflict between two nobles who each want their heir to become the prince uh meanwhile there's an evil church who's actually a bunch of weird aliens uh and the world is in a dark age after a 50-year war decimated the pop- populace and your childhood friend uh wants to bang the princess um, this takes place in the world of Ivalice, which became, or Ivalice, depending Ivalice, on... Ivalice, it's Ivalice, I think. Yeah, well... It, the According part... to FF12, at least. Yeah, so that would, that that's well, that's a bit of a legacy, we'll get to that in a second. So, the game... You wouldn't really, not that you would understand any of the plot, yeah. because it was handled by the uh, crack translation staff of Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. Uh, it makes no sense. Uh, for example, the some of my favorite stuff, uh, the spell Wiznaibusu is actually the dancer's with knives skill, or dragons will sometimes breathe out their ice bracelet attacks instead of ice breath. Ice breath. Uh, it's also famous for the little money scene where they space out each letter of little money across a different text bubble. That's <laughs> so awesome. The game um, also is probably the final stage of the Final Fantasy III job system. It has a dozen jobs, each leading to another, like a crazy endless flow chart. Um... And you had it had a bunch of broken class combinations, and it is the perfect game if you're an obsessive maniac who wants to go and create gods. Like that would basically wipe out entire reams of enemies. So my favorite thing is the best class in that game is the calculator, which means that math is the secret solution to beating every war. <laughs> Uh, Ivalice, as we talked before, the game setting has actually been used for a couple games. The um, it was used for Final Fantasy twelve. Uh, as well as Final Fantasy Tactics Advance and Advance 2 uh, and Vagrant Story, um, which was Yasune Masuno's crazy pet project that was secretly a Final Fantasy Tactics sequel. Um, and for a few years, Square actually called the Ivalice Alliance one of their tentpole sub-franchises before they went all in on uh, the Final Fantasy XIII sub-franchise, Fabula Nova Crystallis. Wh- which, interestingly enough, is... They did not get very far with. No. They made two games and then two sequels. And that was until Final Fantasy 14, sorry, 15, which I think is technically still in that world. Yes, because it used to be versus 13. Anyway, it's. This was way better because it had Bengas. Bengas are great, and so are Moogles. 
Um, fun fact about development, uh, Akito Inoue, who is a video game researcher and a professor at the International University of Japan, says that the game was Matsuno's ideal of what a casual gamer would like, since the story doesn't branch as much, like in his ogre battle games. Uh, as a side note, Matsuno is a crazy person for thinking that, and I love it. Oh, man, if only he knew what the, if only he knew what an iPad was. I will... Well, he has to. Final Fantasy Tactics is on iPad now. That is true. That is true. I think true. he found Angry Birds and like, who likes this? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> this is a video game? No. There's nothing about that. You can't, like, do math to break a game. <laughs> Nobody's backstabbing somebody else in incomprehensible cutscenes. Where's the flowchart? <laughs> the The game is available on PSN, but you're better, you're way better off with the rebalanced, properly translated PSP port, Final Fantasy Tactics War of Alliance, which is also available on iOS without the terrible load times. But you can also play Final Fantasy Tactics Advance and A2, which are some spectacular games. So this is these are spin-offs of spin-offs yeah. at this point. It's um they released basically what was Final Fantasy Tactics for the the Game Boy and the Game the Game Boy Advance and the, the Nintendo DS. And the first one was kind of this childlike childlike wonder story where you start off as kids playing in a doing a snowball fight and they get transported to another world where there are things like bangas and character classes. And everybody has a fantastic life except for you, and therefore you must destroy their dreams. Yeah, that's kind of, it's quite literally, girl, actually. Girl who was beat up? Well, now she's the princess of a weird rabbit race. Can't have that happiness. Kid who was in a wheelchair can walk again. Nope. Guy who was beat up for being a socially awkward nerd is the prince. Can't happen. Nope. His dad's an alcoholic. Now he's not. He's got to be an alcoholic again. We have to go back to the original timeline where things were perfect and I had my whole collection of books. Marche is basically a weird nerd angry about canon in Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Except the canon is his world. To be fair, though, I think Tactics Advance is in some weird way canon in the Final Fantasy XII universe. Because of well, that the the world of Evilise has such a convoluted timeline that it's really hard to keep track of anything. Yeah, it, I think the only constant is that it, it basically the only things that are confirmed are it, it's twelve Final Fantasy twelve, then Tactics, then Vagrant Story. Yes, but before twelve, at some point, Tactics Advance and Advance Two happen in some amount of canonicity. Uh, the part where it gets destroyed and no longer exists because it was once a child's fantasy world probably doesn't stay true as canon. I, it's Matsuno. I wouldn't bet on that. <laughs> <laughs> He's literally a crazy person. Okay, so then there was A2, which followed a similar plot, except it was more like, hey, this world's great. Yeah, this world's awesome. I get to be a badass here. Yeah, and that was basically most of the plot in that game. Yep, I never paid attention to it. Also, there was a lady with cat ears. Yep. Anyway, you can get you can get those. They're fairly accessible. You can also get the PSP game if you have a PS Vita. There's you can just buy it and it works. Um, it's Final Fantasy Tactics, one of the best Final Fantasy games. No, probably... I think we said it's the best spinoff off the, off the top. I actually have recently had to change my mind. I think Theatrism is the best spinoff. That game though is that game does not really count as an RPG. Well, it's Elite Beat Agents with Cloud. That is true. And it's sort of like the Persona dancing game we talked about. That is true. And the song that we're going with this time is Invasion, which is from the Final Fantasy Tactics soundtrack, which is actually a pretty rad theme. It's suitably moody yep. Just for uh, our grumpiness about these PlayStation games.
That's it for this week. I'm producer Armin Agbali. And I'm featured editor Daniel Rosen. Remember to leave a review on iTunes so we know how you're doing and more people can find the show. But that review has to be positive or we'll put you in an endless vortex that leads to multiple dimensions of childhood dreams. We're usually on the air on the Scobit Ryerson every Saturday at 1 p.m. and rerun every Monday and Thursday at 6 p.m. And we update the website every Sunday. You can find us on Twitter at built to play and me personally at Flarkon. That's F-L-R-K-C-O-N. And I'm at Daniel underscore Rosen. Pretend FF13 never happened. Happy holidays, and thank you so much for listening.